logic versus trust. Can we just welcome everybody who's watching online for the live stream? Can we welcome them? Praise God. We have a, a great, great audience inside and outside, so we're thankful for that. Uh, there was a, um, an interview-type debate on TV from uh, about an atheist and a minister that were going head-to-head. And it came up in conversation that the atheist, at one time, <coughs> he believed in God. And so the question was asked, what event or what happened to change your mind to become an atheist? And he says, that was very simple. He says, I grew up in a Christian home as a Christian with godly Christian parents. But my father, he got deathly sick. And so he says, I started praying for God to heal him. And he said, God did not, and he died. So he said, from that point on, I became an atheist because if I can't pray to a God and, and see something that I'm believing for, then I don't believe that there's a God. And he said, most of the atheists that he hangs around with or, or knows, something similar happened to them as well. They were believing God, and it didn't happen. And so I want to uh, just hit that straight on because all of us more than likely have had something happen that maybe you prayed about or were believing for, and it did not happen. So uh, I think one of the best illustrations in the Bible is, the, you know, the story of David and Bathsheba. He um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband murdered. I mean, that's really bad. And, uh, but Bathsheba got pregnant, and had a child, and the child was born really, really sick. And so David fasted for days, put on sackcloth and ashes, and was really humbling himself and fasting, praying for this baby to live. The story goes, the baby died. And uh, so after the baby died, David, he washed himself, put on nice clothes, and he went and he ate. And his servants looked at him and came up to him and said, what's up with that? I mean, we were even afraid to tell you that your child died. And here you are just like life just goes on. And he said, you know, while the child was alive, I was going to believe that. But the child died. And he said, I know in the goodness of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says he went in after the child died and he worshiped, he went into the temple and he worshiped God. If that would have been a, like a lot of people in today's society, you'd be reading that David quit believing in God and we would not be reading all the great stories about David and how Israel became a great nation because of what David did. My point is this, we all have opportunities to get hard or bitter, and even though we may not have all the answers, bad times and tragedy happens to people, but how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Uh, in Colossians 1.21, it says, even though you were once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, let me just Stop there. It says, you were once distant from him. God was not distant from you. It was you thinking that God was distant from you. Did you get that? 
Because a lot of times people think, well, God is just so far off and he doesn't care and I don't feel him. And that's not the case. He says, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He did that. He released his supernatural peace to you. He did that through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and the Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. People, especially even Christians, they see a distance between themselves and God when they do wrong or or if they're not doing everything right, they see a distance between them and God. But God says that's just everything is in your mind. The Young's translation actually says that. He said that you have become enemies in your mind. I haven't become your enemy, but in your mind, you think I've become your enemy. Did you get that? That is vitally important because a lot of times the problem is between our ears and we come to the conclusion that God must be upset, he must be mad, or he even must be an enemy. And God says, no, the enemy, what you're thinking, it's in your mind. There's no distance. I've never left you, never will leave you, nor forsake you. But you are the one. You are the one. So people are still trying to figure God out through life experiences. They think this is the way God is because this is what happened to me. I remember when I was about 19 or 20, I started going to a church that um, believed in the healing power of God. They believed that it was God's will for you to be well and to be healed like any good father would. And I remember I got so excited. I was just there a few months. And uh, there was an elderly man who had cancer and they said he was going to die. He was really old and he had cancer and he was going to die. So I thought... I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to pray for him. God's going to, I'm going to see a miracle and raise this dude up. I was so pumped up. So I went there, 19, I think I was around 19 years old. I went to the hospital. This elderly guy was laying, I mean, he looked like, he, I, I went and checked his pulse. I thought, man, he's too late. He's dead, man. But uh, he looked horrible. So I, he was just really worn out and weak and everything. And I looked at him and I started talking to him about the healing power of God. I grabbed his hands. And I lifted him up to sit him up in bed. I know. It was just awesome. And I prayed for him and everything. Nothing happened. The next day he died. And I was like, wow. A few months later, I never quit believing. Listen to me. I never quit believing that God is a healing God. Never quit believing. A few months later, my mom got a phone call about one of her friends said, you know, I heard Mike, I was in the Air Force at the time, he said, I heard Mike's in town, he prays for people, can you have him come to the hospital and pray for me? I did, and I went and prayed for her, and while I was praying for her, there was a woman in a bed beside her, she just started crying and yelling, and said, please pray for me, please pray for me, I have cancer, and they said it's terrible, and I don't want to die, I'm not ready to die, would you please pray for me? So I said, sure, I will. I prayed for her, you know, basically just like I did for the elderly man. The next day, my mom got a phone call from her friend saying that woman, the next day, had tests ran on her, and she was totally free from cancer, totally healed by the power of God. But this is what we do. We come and analytically try to say, this is the way God is. Maybe it was the will of God for that man to die, but it was the will of God for this woman to live. And so we come to that conclusion, which is a wrong conclusion. 
Because that's the way the church defines what the will of God is, is what the outcome is. And that is the wrong way to define the character and the nature of God just because of circumstances. Are you hearing me? We have to get this right. Because if you don't, you're going to have the wrong conclusion about what God is like. People think, you know, they talk about one thing that the church, and I say church, you know, worldwide, even in non-church going people. This is one of the main things they get wrong, and that is the sovereignty of God. God is in control of everything. And if anything happens, it is because it's the will of God. Can we just think common sense and just for a moment is is that really what we think about God? So all these mass murders that are going on, that, that's what God wanted to happen? The rapes and, and all of these terrible things that are happening, all these tragedies, that's the will of God and that's what God destined and that's what he wants to happen? I'll just be blunt with you. If that's the kind of God he is, I would not want to not only be a pastor of his flock, I would not even want to serve him. And I believe that's why a lot of people aren't serving him or, or, or become atheists because that's what they've been taught and that's what they believe. Or they, well, I still believe in God, but I don't want to have anything to do with church because, you know what, if that's the kind of God he is, I'm just not going to be part of his family. So we have to get this right. The sovereignty of God. You look it up in the dictionary and study the word sovereignty. It means paramount supreme, having supreme rank or power, independent, a sovereign state, excellent, freedom from external control. None of these definitions mean that God controls everything. The church has come up with that. The people have come up with that. But not God. And it's not taught that way in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, Life and death are before you. Blessing and cursing are before you. Choose life. In other words, life is about making choices. And you are today, right where you're at today, based upon choices you made yesterday, last week, last month, last year, or whenever. Choices. Psalms 115 says this. He says, the earth is the Lord's, but he says he's given it, the earth, to man. So he says, this is your place. Now you choose. You have dominion over it. It's up to you. So I, I like this illustration. In 2020, Corvette uh, is coming out with a mid-engine uh, Corvette. Okay, I was pretty excited about that. Anyway, I just, I, I like sports cars, and I, and I heard about this, and I went, <laughs> and, uh, and if I gave you the keys, and I said, Bruce, here's the keys to a mid-engine 2020, he, he would definitely be excited. Even though it's not a Harley, he would be excited. But anyway, and if I told him, I says, it's yours. And he got that thing, and I told him, I said, this is how you drive it. Now, make sure you drive it right and all this. You know, it's a delicate machine. It's not a toy, you know. And he got in that thing, and he started running red lights and people banging into it. And he sat there, and he got this thing, and he says, I'm going to take it to the mountains. I mean, four-wheel drive trail mountains. Now, I think a Corvette sits about six inches maybe or off the ground. You, you're, you're not going to take that thing four-wheeling very far. But if he did all that, and then a year later, he comes back and he's mad at me because of the condition of that Corvette. I'm going to go, 
<clears throat> just wait a minute. What, what did you do to that? You know, it was within your power and your ability and your choice. You shouldn't have taken it on a four-wheel drive journey. You may possibly, when the light is red, stop. So you don't get plowed into. I mean, this thing's a piece of junk. And he blames me. You know, I, I said this earlier in the first service. that On my 40th birthday, which was not too long ago. That is kind of rude to laugh at something like that. <laughs> anyway, Melanie had this. My wife had this. She got this four-wheel drive book, Trails in Colorado. And they're rated, you know, easy, medium, you know, hard. And you could go see Jesus if you mess up. And so I go, we, we sit there and we went on one of these trails. My, it was just so much fun. I go, yeah. I had a Durango at the time. It's four-wheel drive. I've never been on a... One of those trails, this sounds like so much fun on my 40th birthday, which I thought was going to be my last. But anyway, we went down this trail, and somewhere, first of all, she had the book, and she was given directions. If you know my wife, that was a mistake. She has many giftings, directions. She's just directionally challenged. Let's just put it that way. So we got on this one trail. I mean, it was just barely wide enough for my Durango, and then there was a cliff that you're going to go see Jesus Cliff. That's that kind of cliff. I mean, it's like... <laughs> anyway, so all of a sudden, we were going down, and all of a sudden, we ran around a curve, and there was a vehicle coming up. And Melody, you know, she just go, oh, my goodness, what are you going to do? What, what are you... You cannot back... What are we going... You know, we're just going to camp out here for the rest of our life. What are we going to do? So I said, I'll tell you what. You get out. Tell that guy to put up his two wheels up on the bank and get as much of his vehicle up on the bank, and I'll take the outside, and I'll take the outside and go around him. And I said, when, you, when I do that, you just point, tell me specifically where my tires are and everything to get me around him. She said, okay. So he did that. He got up as close as he could up on that bank, and here I go around him. And I'm telling you, it's just like she had to go, that far, get that far, that far. And all of a sudden, I was going around, and I was just about midstream, and all of a sudden, she just went, you know, that's a terrible sign. If you're behind a steering wheel, and you got a, I'm going to go see Jesus Cliff right there, and somebody goes, that's the last thing you want to see in anybody's face. So I just stop, and she goes, and so she, I made it around. Obviously, I'm here. Just telling a story like I went to go, I hope he makes it. Anyway, I made it. But anyway, she gets in the car. She says, Mike, one of your wheels w were out just spinning away from the earth. Just You had three wheels on the ground. I go, whoa, that was close. She goes, <laughs> she was white. I mean, like white. So anyway, last week we went camping, and I didn't know it, but she got that book out. We went on another four-wheel. I know. I just thought, you should have thrown that thing away. <laughs> so we got on it, and sure enough, we got on this trail, and I'm, I've got a truck now, and so it, it sits higher, and it's, you know, it's built more for four-wheel driving. But she gets on this trail. She gets me on this trail. And uh, we had the girls with us and everything, Vicky and Monty, and, and we get on this trail, and it's literally boulders, small boulders, you know, that you're, I mean, it's like, Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble kind of road. It's just nothing but rocks and boulders, you know. 
And I, we got up, and, and sure enough, there was a, a Jesus cliff again. And I'm going, I, I'm, I'm going to have to turn around. She goes, where? So we had to keep going up, going up, going up. Finally, there was a place, and I got turned around. We came, and I just told her, I said, you need to get rid of this book. And I'm tempted to write to the author, you could be sued. Anyway, it, there's trails like that, that that Corvette's never going to be, but you could take them on it just once. You could just go one time because you wouldn't make it. But this is the kind of scenario that people have about God. And it's the wrong scenario. It's the wrong mentality, wrong doctrine, the wrong theology, and you're thinking badly about the most loving, gracious, kind, considerate father you could possibly think of. He's God Almighty, and he's always good, and there's nothing outside of them that is not good. He's good. And so you can't think he's a murderer, that he took my child, that he took my husband, or he's caused this to happen. He repossessed my car, or he tore up my vet. He did not. Knowing that God is not the author of your problems is one of the greatest revelations that you need to have. I'm going to say it again. God is not the author of your problems, period. And I know some churches teach this and people believe that. That, you know, God just sent this problem to me so he can teach me. Teach you what? Where do, you know why we get that? Because we, don't, we try to reason why that happened. And so the logical, the logical conclusion is, well, God must be wanting to teach me. So he took your child to teach you something. Or could you imagine today if a father goes, I'm going to teach you, son, my 12-year-old son, I'm going to teach you. Okay, Dad, what do you want to teach me? Well, I got this flu vaccination or this flu um, virus. Thank you. I got this flu. Vaccination would be the opposite. This flu virus, and I'm going to shoot it into you, and so you get the flu. And I'm going to give you the flu so I can teach you something. Have you heard Christians say that? Well, God just gave me this flu because he wants to teach me something. What? How to hug a toilet properly? I mean, how what? <laughs> why, why is... It wouldn't be so ridiculous and funny, but that, I mean, what, what, do, what, are we, what are we saying here? Really? Really, that's really what the conclusion that you come to, that God wants to teach you something. And by the way, if you did that today and social service found out about it, your kids would be taken from you. So you're saying to me that social service is, is more kind and considerate than your father God. Don't put that on our father. Don't put that on our father. That's why we have that sign out there. We need to rethink God. God wants to become... You to become aware of what he's aware of. Which means, what is God aware? He thinks good things towards you. He thinks you're awesome. You are accepted. You have to think good things. Every circumstance or tragedy can become an opportunity for God, for you to encounter God's goodness. Romans 8.28 is another scripture that is just taken so far out of context. It says that, and we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so people have said, well, I broke my arm. God broke my arm, so something good could come from that. Or my husband left me, so I believe something good can come from that. 
Really, that is not what that scripture means. In the context, that chapter is talking about prayer and and looking unto God, looking to him. And so what happens when tragedy or something bad happens, a lot of people don't look to God. They blame God, get mad at God, quit God, quit church or whatever. So what God is saying is this. When something does bad happen, if you look to him, if you look to God, he says, I will make sure that you encounter my goodness, my peace, or whatever you need. I'll make sure that I'm going to be available for that to manifest your life. Even in the death of a loved one, no matter what it is, I can manifest myself to cause, not that I cause that to happen, but whatever evil thing happened, I can change it and cause you to come out smelling like a rose and have the peace of God like you've never experienced before. That is a a lot different than what people teach, that God calls this to happen. No, you have to get in your foundation that God is not the author of anything bad. Let me just say this real simple. God, good. Devil, bad. Can, Can you get any gray? I mean, that's black and white. So if the bad thing, you don't ever point to God. And don't think he's in charge of it because of his sovereignty. God is sovereign, but not in the way that the the church is taught. It is not. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. But it does mean that God wants to come to us in those times and say, here's my goodness, here's my peace, here's whatever you need. I'm available, and it's inside of you, and I want to manifest that right now in the midst of this horrible circumstance that's happening to you. When things are not going well, do you know that God is still good and that he's good towards you? He doesn't cause it to happen, but if you look to him, he can get you through the terrible thing that just happened. Let God hold on to the why. Let God hold on to the why. Because I do know this. Because we as human beings, our intellect, we want to know the why. We want to get it figured out. Let me just be real blunt. If you want to know everything in the why, you would be God. You're not. I'm not. But when we try to live in the realm of reasoning, to get, I have to know why, you are being, listen to me, this is so good. This is going to distract you from the goodness of God to manifest in your bad time. Did you hear that? If you're trying to blame God or trying to blame somebody or trying to figure out why, if you're trying to do this, you're going to miss the God that is in you who never leaves you, who never distanced himself from you. You're going to miss his peace, his goodness that he says, I'm going to manifest something to you right now because I want to hold you close to me and just let you know that I love you and accept you. I'm going to love you right through this thing and you're going to get through it. Without any bitterness, without any uh, uh, finger pointing, That's the realm of reasoning will just rip you up one side and down the other. And the devil is smarter than you and I when it comes to the realm of reasoning. You know why? He's been on the planet longer than you and me. He's been here for a while. So he knows how people respond. If this happens, I know this is the response that 98% of people are going to respond with. But wouldn't it be pretty awesome if he comes to you or me Something bad happens, and we sit there, and we don't respond. 
the way he thinks we should respond. Like, why, God? We don't respond that way. We look to God and say, God, I don't know how or why this happened, but I do know one thing, that you love me with an unconditional love. 1 Corinthians 13, God is always thinking the best of you. I know a lot of times the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, we look at that and we think that this is the way we're supposed to love people, and it is. But did you know that's the way God loves you? He's always thinking the best of you. He's never having any evil thoughts. He, he believes the best of you. That's 1 Corinthians 13. He cares for you and he loves you, that he's always for you, and he believes the best for you. He's always good to you, period. You have to retrain, rewire your brain to think that way. God is always for you. So if you get the character of God wrong, everything else is going to be wrong and you're not going to trust him. So you need to hold on to the fact that when you don't know the why, you just say, God, I'm giving you the why and I'm going to just receive your love and walk in that. Listen, we have to get the character and the nature of God right if we're going to be able to trust him at all. You cannot trust somebody that you, that you think their character is wrong, that they don't have your best interests at heart. How can you trust somebody like that? If we're truly going to trust God in the difficult times, in the impossible situations, if you want the impossible to become possible because of God's great power living inside of you and me, Ephesians 3.20 says he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think according to the power that is in you and me. He wants to do that. But if the, for that to manifest, you're going to have to believe in the goodness of his character is always towards you in a good way. That's the only way Ephesians 3.20 is going to be manifested in your life. Even though it's in you all the time. Getting the nature and the character of God right. I mean, look to Jesus. If you really want to know what Jesus or God the Father's like, he said, look at Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true way. And he sits there and says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So people in the Old Testament even got the character of God wrong at times. They did. They looked at circumstances and they came to the conclusion this is the way God is. Jesus said, I'm the only one that you should look at to get the nature and character of God right, look at me. But listen to me. If you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are times that Jesus, he dealt with people differently. He dealt with the religious people, the self-righteous people, a lot different than he dealt with the prostitutes, tax collectors, and the heathens. With them, he just dealt love and acceptance, and I loved you, I accept you no matter what. To the religious, self-righteous people that thought that they could keep the law and that they were justified and righteous because of how they, their goodness was. Jesus said, oh, really? So you're saying you don't need a Savior? No, we got this. So Jesus says, all right. He said, you've heard, don't commit adultery. But I'm going to say to you, he only said this to the religious people. If you looked at a woman and just thought, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm, he said, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And he says, if your eyes are offending you, you looked at porn one time on the internet and go, oh, wow, you should, hey, 
We're going to take care of that. We're going to gouge out your eyes. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty hardcore counseling. <laughs> Somebody comes into my office, Pastor, I have this problem. What is it? Oh, I've been watching porn. Honey, get the poker. <laughs> we'll take care of this. You won't have a problem after today. That's what Jesus was telling them. But did he really mean this is what I want? Of course not. I said, of course not. But he was saying this. He says, if you think your own goodness and your works can get you to in right standing with me, then I'm going to elevate this just a little bit higher even for you religious people. Come on now. But to the prostitute, he says, you're accepted. No, he wasn't justifying the sin. But he was saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. You can't even live to the standard that God has. So you need to accept me and believe me. Because your eyesight will always cause you to respond differently because of your circumstances. Your eyesight does this. And this is why the Bible says the just shall live by faith and not by sight. The word just there is the same as righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. So this is why I keep harping on all of us, including myself, that you are righteous. Why? If you're ever going to live by faith, you've got to believe you're righteous. If you ever believe that you're going to live by faith, then you have to believe that you are righteous. So the devil comes into the church and says, Oh, my righteousness is filthy as rags. Oh, I'm just a worm. I can't do this and I can't do that. Oh, I'm, not, I'm so unworthy. I can tell you if that's your mentality, you're not going to be able to live and walk by faith. So it's a lie of the devil for us to embrace it. And we feel so humble and so religious. And I'm going to say, you stench you if that's your mentality. You are. Because your righteousness is filthy as rag. You and I can't live good enough to be righteous before God. So you have to accept the fact that God made you and me righteous. There's nothing we could do. We were made that way. So you have to believe, if I'm going to walk by faith, then I believe 100%, no matter what, 24-7, I am the righteousness of God no matter what. Woo! Can you say amen to that? Isn't God good? He is so good. So, Paul... Lost his eye. I mean, Saul, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And he sat there and he said, he said this. He said that he would go about and get letters from the high council to go and kill and imprison Christians. And listen to him. And he thought he was doing the will of God. There are some Christians that are like that today. They think they're doing the will of God. And so here he is. He's on the road. And all of a sudden, he's got the letters. He's doing God's business. And God knocks him off the horse, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he went, what? Lord, what? He says, yeah, the ones that you're persecuting. That's me you're persecuting. And so he became blind for three days. He lost his natural eyesight so God could... Cause him to see and have some insight. 
if you're really going to get a hold of who God is and who you are, then there's going to be times that you need to not always be looking through your eyesight and be looking with insight. Because your eyesight will sometimes say, man, I, I stink it up, Lord. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing good. My point is this. You have to have insight. So after three days of having insight, God opened up his natural eyes. And he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Why? Because he quit living all the time by his eyesight, and he started living by insight. Why? Because your eyesight will always, not always, but it will tell you things that are really contradictory of what God says about you. You look at your life, and sometimes it looks contradictory of what God says about you. In Colossians, it says that, that you, he sees you righteous, blameless, and holy before God. That's the insight. But your eyesight, not so much. So you and I need to get a hold of what God says about us. And the only way to do that is by having insight. What does God say about you? What is his character and what does he think about you? Psalms 27, 13, 14 says this. I would have lost heart unless I have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's basically saying in a nutshell what I've been saying. When something bad happens, don't get the logical, analytical thinking that, oh, man, I'll tell you what, how, why did this happen? Now i got to do this. He says, no, just push that all off to the side, and you just wait on God. You just look to God. Why? Because inside of you, there is something that will always have the ability to deliver you in any and every situation. But you got to look to him. you got to look to him. Do you know this about God? That he cares for you no matter what. He cares for you no matter what. That he loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what. No matter what's going on in your life, he loves you. He is always for you and believes the best of you. And then the last one, he's always good to you. That's the only thing he can be is good to you because that is his true nature. That is who he is. David said... He had to remind himself in Psalms 103, verse 1. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And forget not his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, all of our sins, and heals all, A-L-L, your diseases. How many? All. You understand that this is old covenant. It's not even the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 says we have a better covenant with new, uh, better promises. In the old covenant, David even knew this. But this is what is something that David knew he had to get a hold of. And that is this. He had to command his soul to think that way. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What was he saying? My soul, my natural eyesight is... It's contradictory what I'm seeing to what I feel like God is saying on the inside. Man, this is so good. He's saying, I have to tell my soul, soul, bless the Lord. 
Because he's good. He's forgiven me of all of my sins and all of my iniquities. All of your sin today is forgiven, by the way. Every stinkle sin you've ever committed in your past and your present or that you will commit, God says, I've forgiven them all. And so sometimes you just got to tell your soul that. Because your eyesight goes, I don't feel forgiven. I really don't. I feel like sin on a popsicle stick. And I feel like that devil's just licking me everywhere I go. Listen to me. You get, that was a lot funnier than you are letting on. But anyway, you got to tell your soul. He's forg- I'm, all of my sins are forgiven. And you know what? Body, all of my diseases are healed in Jesus' name. So you have to have insight so you can get a hold of that. So be like David. you got to talk to yourself and know. David is commanding his soul to line up with what he knew about God. And God knew that it wouldn't be easy, so he said, forget not. You know why? Because it's easy to forget that when you're living by your eyesight. When you're seeing things that are contrary. So, you and I, we have to trust. And the only way you're going to trust is when you get the nature and the character of God right. If we have the nature and the character of God wrong, then someday you could choose to become an atheist and not believe God. I know pastors who no longer uh, serve God at all because of something bad happened and they went down that road of analyzing and, and trying to figure out and the reason why and they thought, there is no God. Really? I'm going to close with this. Habakkuk chapter 3. This is a prophet who saw some of the worst famine in times. And this is what he says in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls. You do know what this means, right? There was no Walmart to go to when all of the fields were empty. There was no store. In other words, there was great famine and death was facing everyone. Death. This is a picture of death, what he's saying. There's nothing in the fields. There's nothing in the barns. So basically, we have no food. But this is his response to that. Yet, verse 18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and he makes me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and, my, and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Notice Habakkuk wasn't throwing everything under the bus because there was famine in the land. He was saying, I'm going to rejoice in God. Why can you rejoice or how can you rejoice? If you're just living by eyesight, you won't. But if you get some insight, you'll realize this. My God's going to provide for me even though it doesn't look like it. Everybody thinks I should be sad and depressed because my spouse left me or rejected me and ran off with somebody else. Or this happened to me and my children forsook me, you know. My, everybody is forsaking me, so I should go on Oprah Winfrey and just tell everybody how bad it is. No, you shouldn't. You should sit there and go, I'm going to rejoice in God. He's going to get me through this because he's my father. He's victorious. He's my king. And I know I'm always going to be taken care of because he's such a good father. I'm going to rejoice in him. If you do that and respond that way, Now God 
will make sure that what is inside of you, which is Jesus, it will manifest in the goodness and the peace of God. And there will not be a circumstance that will hinder you from walking in victory. Amen. Let's stand. Woo. That's good stuff.